This is Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly update on the people and policies leading Michigan, with Michigan Democratic Party Chair Lavora Barnes. Welcome to Party on the Peninsulas. I'm Lavora Barnes, Chair of the Michigan Democratic Party. The words this week, common sense safety. We have an epidemic of gun violence in this country. The leading cause of death of children is guns. Seemingly every night, the news includes reports of still another mass shooting. As Governor Whitmer said after the tragedy at Michigan State University, the time for only thoughts and prayers is over. And Democrats in the legislature agree and are enacting common sense gun safety measures that are being demanded by voters. The bills have overwhelming public support, but that support isn't shared by the Michigan Republican Party. The party called the bills a step toward gun confiscation and compared them to the actions of Nazis in the 1930s. In a moment, we'll be joined by Speaker Pro Tem of the Michigan House, Lori Pahutsky, to update on all the progress on multiple key issues in the legislature. But first, a summary of the week's news on politics and policies. Here's MDP's Dorian Tyus. I'm Dorian Tyus. Here are some of the stories driving policy and politics this week. Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed into law Friday Democratic bills to repeal Michigan's right-to-work law that currently allows workers in the state to not pay union dues or fees. She also reinstated a prevailing wage law that requires union-level wages and benefits for state-funded construction projects. Just over half of states have right-to-work laws in place. With a stroke of her pen, Whitmer made Michigan the first state in nearly 60 years to abandon the policy opposed by labor advocates. The governor has also signed legislation that ends a requirement to hold back third graders who fail a reading proficiency test. In signing the bill, Whitmer signed the change will offer parents more flexibility and ensure educators can focus on doing what they do best, helping students reach their full potential. The bill passed with the support of every Democratic lawmaker, along with two Republicans in the state Senate. The Michigan House approved legislation Wednesday requiring gun owners to keep weapons locked or unloaded around minor children. The latest is an ongoing push by Democrats to reform Michigan gun laws. The legislation, which passed 6147, would generally require gun owners to keep weapons in safes or locked containers or keep them unloaded with a trigger lock or cable lock to prevent accidental firing if they are in a home or other building where minors under 18 could access them. Other bills in the package would exempt gun safes, locking devices, and other gun safety devices from state taxes. The Michigan Republican Party compared the bills to actions of Nazis in the 1930s. The post shared on the Michigan Republican Party's official Facebook and Twitter accounts and accurately claimed that Democrats are trying to disarm Michigan gun owners. A photo accompanying the message appears to match an image stored by the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum showing rings confiscated from Jewish prisoners in a Nazi concentration camp. In an interview with MLive, Michigan Republican Party Chair Christina Caramo called Governor Whitmer, quote, a monster who should face criminal investigation for a response to the COVID-19 pandemic. New polling from Data for Progress shows overwhelming support for raising taxes on billionaires. The tax would require the wealthiest Americans to pay at least 25% in taxes on all wealth over $100 million, helping cut the deficit and fund federal programs. Voters support the tax by a plus 43 point margin 
including an overwhelming majority of Democrats with a plus 78 point margin, majorities of independents with a plus 45 point margin, and Republicans with a plus nine point margin. You can find links for more information on these stories on our website, partyonthepeninsulas.com. From Michigan Democratic Party headquarters in Lansing, I'm Dorian Tyus. Thank you, Dorian. Joining us on the podcast is House Speaker Pro Tem Lori Pahutsky. She's serving her third term representing the 17th House District, which encompasses parts of Northwest Detroit, North Redford Charter Township, and Northeast Livonia. Representative Pahutsky graduated from Michigan State University with a degree in microbiology. After college, she worked in the fields of food safety, toxicology, and healthcare. She brought this knowledge, along with her experience in water quality testing, with her to the Michigan House of Representatives. She has a deep commitment to bringing a scientific perspective to government and advocating for environmental causes. Thank you so much for joining us, Speaker Pro Tem, which is a title I love, by the way. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I have so enjoyed watching you preside over house sessions. So I want to start with that because I'm going to, I'm going to use the word badass because it's my podcast and I use whatever word I want, but you handle it so beautifully and you care not even a little bit how much screaming and yelling the Republicans do at you, at your colleagues. You just, you're, you're doing a tremendous job. So thank you for that. Tell me what it's like. What does it feel like up there on the dais with that big old gavel in your hand presiding over that session? Well, thank you. I I appreciate the compliment. Um, You know, I get up there and I'm not going to lie. Uh, As you said, there are days where the Republican caucus is doing their best to be as distracting as possible. Uh, and frankly, just throwing temper tantrums um, is the, the most direct way of putting it. Um, but the the goal is just to, to get through the day as efficiently and smoothly as possible. The fact of the matter is we come there every day uh, with a, a job to do and we're there to work. We're not there to behave childishly. So my job is to just make sure that we stay on track as much as possible and just ignore the the distractions that they are are throwing our way. Some days that is easier than others, obviously, because some days they lock themselves in their caucus room rather than coming out to vote. So that takes a little bit more uh, focus to, to try and navigate around. But, uh, you know, the the governor has said this a lot about having to be the adults in the room. And that's that's what I, I look at this term as. We are there to work. And sometimes that means doing a very serious job with deeply unserious people. So we just have to to stay focused and, and get through each day. Being the adults in the room and getting work done brings us to the the tremendous amount of work you all have done in this legislative session so far. Give folks an update on some of the bills. Talk about where they are, which ones have been signed, which ones are waiting to be signed. So much work has been done. You know, we're talking about gun safety. We've been talking about right to work. We've been talking about LGBTQ rights. So, so much good work happening. Give folks an update. Yeah. So it's been a busy first, I believe, 70 days is is what it's been. Um, So, you know, on day one, both the House and the Senate introduced our, our top six priorities. And that's not to say that those are the most important things uh, that we had to work on. The fact of the matter is not every single bill can be our first bill. So we had to to narrow it down a little bit. And we really looked at the things that we had been promising to get done 
for in some cases decades, but certainly for the last several election cycles. So those were restoring prevailing wage, repealing right to work, uh, expanding the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act to uh, explicitly provide protections for the LGBTQ community, uh, repealing the 1931 criminal abortion ban. Um, and I know I'm missing some now. And that's like, that's the ridiculous part. It's been 70 days. Uh, and it's been such just a, a, a whirlwind. Uh, but we got through those first six priorities already. Uh, they are all either waiting for the governor's signature or already have it. Uh, so yesterday, right to work and prevailing wage got signed into law. Last week, the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act got signed into law. Uh, repealing the pension tax and expanding the earned income tax credit were the other two. Uh, and those frankly slipped my mind because those were the first things we got done. So it seems like ages ago. Uh, but those are signed into law. Uh, we are going to have the 1931 criminal abortion ban, which was my bill, that will be signed into law shortly. Um, and obviously, we have to to keep our focus on issues that are arising while we're we're working on those as well. So, you know, we had been working on legislation to create universal background checks for firearms, create safe storage laws, uh, create extreme risk protection orders. Two out of the three of those have already uh, made it through both chambers and are waiting for the governor's signature. We're still working on extreme risk protection orders in the House. Uh, frankly, we just went into our in-district work period, so we will not be having session for the next couple of weeks. We'll be working in our districts. Um, so those have, have already made it across the finish line. And the fact of the matter is those were bills that we are already working on. Uh, one bit of frustration for me and Laura, I think you can probably relate to this is, you know, these are things that have had universal appeal, bipartisan appeal for such a long time. And they are things that we have been introducing time and time again and not been getting any movement. And I'm really, really excited that we're able to get these things done now. But I think that this is a really uh, the, the gun safety legislation is a really obvious example of this. There are people whose perspectives are very, very important. So law enforcement, uh, you know, people who will have to implement some of these laws and, and will be on the ground dealing with them. Um, and frankly, I wish that they would have come to the table sooner because we've been working on these laws for such a long time. So now the challenge that we're facing is reintroducing them and getting them to a point where they are ready to be signed into law. They will withstand court challenges. And that involves having really important conversations with the folks who are going to be responsible for implementing them. But I will say just personally, my frustration is we've been ready with these bills and introducing them for ages uh, so the fact that now folks are like, oh, wait, they're serious about this. We can actually move this. Now we need to come to the table and, and weigh in. Their, their perspective is so, so valuable. Um, but it is a little bit of, of that frustration because it just demonstrates how we knew under a Republican majority in the legislature, these bills were never going to move. Um, and that's a little frustrating because they're good legislation. It's good common sense legislation and it saves lives. And we should have done it a long, long time ago. And it was stonewalled by the Republican majority. It's what they do. They're um, so terrifically good at deciding that they're going to put up a wall and do nothing despite the needs of the people of Michigan. And they continue to do it in this session in really spectacular fashion. Um, one of the things that I have enjoyed and been so grateful for is the willingness of you and your colleagues as you're working through these bills to 
tell really honest, true, and personal stories about why this legislation is important to you and to your constituents. Um, I think this is something we don't hear enough of from our elected officials, and I've been so grateful to hear it from you and your colleagues. Among those six top priorities, talk about a couple of them that really meant a lot to you and why. I know that the abortion ban bill was yours, but it's probably not the only one that meant a lot to you. Talk talk to our listeners about um, some some of the some of the bills that sort of mean something personally and why. I think folks love to hear that sort of information. Of course, of course. I mean, the 1931 repeal uh, is important to me. One, as someone who is able to reproduce and has a uterus and, and you know, is is under attack by, you know, right-wing extremists who want to criminalize basic health care. Abortion access is part of why I ran for office. You know, I'm one of those people who had to change my birth control plan after Donald Trump was elected because suddenly we didn't know what was going to be covered anymore. So that was obviously very, very personal for me. Uh, but expanding the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act to provide explicit protections for the LGBTQ community uh, was perhaps even more personal. Uh, I'm the first queer woman elected to the Michigan State Legislature. And so for for the obvious reasons, you know, making sure that my community is protected uh, is that that bill is is incredibly important to me. It was my bill last term, and within the LGBTQ community, uh, respecting the history of something is is really really important because in some cases our history is all we've had, right? So uh, when I think about the the people and organizations that have shepherded this cause over the last half century to where we are right now. It's um it's really, really meaningful and it, it it's very emotional. But also as somebody who grew up going to Catholic school and endured religious trauma and you know then came to work to have it hurled on me again the day that we were passing that. Um it was a very emotional and in some ways difficult day. As much as it was a celebration and as much as it was a way to honor everybody who's been doing this work much longer than me and much longer than the bill sponsors, it it was a little tough too, because for every victory we have, we have people who are very, very upset about that victory. In fact, we had a representative that day, uh, Brad Paquette, make the analogy between the LGBTQ community and pedophiles on the floor of the House of Representatives. and it's it's only gotten worse since then. So that dichotomy uh, really just highlighted the importance of those protections for me, uh, because I think that there's there were a lot of people who thought we already had those protections across the state and didn't know why this was necessary, and making sure that people knew no, there you were still at risk of getting fired or being denied housing uh, based on your sexual orientation or gender identity prior to that law going into effect. And and there's, you know, there there have been departments that have fought for our protections since then and everything. But I, you know, there have been court rulings. Last year we had the Michigan Supreme Court ruling in the Roush World decision. But the fact of the matter is we have seen court cases get overturned. So it was really, really important that we get that across the finish line. And as someone who sees on a daily basis, you know, the the amount of vitriol and in some cases outright hatred for the LGBTQ community uh, and has been denied the opportunity to represent my community in the House, you know, it was 
six months ago, I believe, maybe a little bit longer, that I was gaveled down for saying that I was bisexual and for trying to speak to violence against the LGBTQ community on the chamber by the last speaker pro tem. <laughs> so uh, we, we've come a long, long way. But in in all honesty, some of the, the negative backlash to that law has kind of underlined to me the importance of passing it to begin with. And that's been um, a really kind of whirlwind of emotions, but it's it's been it's been a, a really good experience to be able to get it done finally. To finally be able to celebrate that that, that victory, it's it's. I have just I, again, I say it over and over again about how how proud I am that this legislature has taken on these issues that we have all been talking about and working for and fighting for for decades. And like you said, some of them, you know, they're not new, and people are behaving as though they've never had these conversations before. These issues are not new. People have been living and fighting these issues for a very long time. Um, and your Republican colleagues just continue to be obstructionists. But then the Republican Party this week went to a place that I honestly, I, I struggled to find words to describe my feeling about that tweet and the the backup of it that the state party chair just sort of doubled and tripled down on the disgusting comparison of the, the, the sort of common sense gun legislation to the Holocaust. Um, Tell our viewers a little bit about what you and your colleagues have have thought about, heard about, talked about about that issue, and anything else you'd like to to share with us about how that particular piece of the Republican Party has made you all feel about the work you're doing. To start with, that tweet and that press strategy, and like you said, the the doubling down on it is despicable. It's disgusting. It's vile, and there's no place for it. I want to start by saying that because I want to make a very clear statement about where I stand and where the, where the caucus stands on it. Um, so, in response to it, we the the Democratic caucus had introduced Representative Steckloff, uh, who is one of two Jewish members in the House and three Jewish members in in the entirety of the legislature, introduced a, a resolution just denouncing anti-Semitism and really focusing on those type of types of comparisons that are just really, they, they normalize the Holocaust, right? And, and they, they downplay the severity of, of what happened. And in a time where we still have people who are flat out denying the, the mere existence of the Holocaust, Trying to whitewash over the reality of that is very, very dangerous. You know, mind you, it has been less than a month since someone was arrested for making direct threats against Jewish elected officials, including Representative Steckloff, including Representative Arbit, who spoke to the resolution on the floor. So this is not, you know, just a the resolution and and the response to the the tweet. And the the you know comparison itself was not about something that happened a long time ago. It's about something that is actually happening now. This this is still going on. And when you have someone like Christina Caramo making that comparison, it's stoking that fire and it's making things more dangerous for everybody, not just the elected officials, for everybody who is impacted by anti-Semitism. So this resolution was brought forward. Uh, it, 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 it at one point explicitly named the, the tweet by the Republican Party. Uh, the Republican caucus was not happy with that. So 
you know, it's not my job to make friends there. So I was completely against removing <laughs> that part. Uh, but in an effort to try and make sure that, you know, nobody felt uh, like it was a, a political gotcha moment or anything like that, we took that out. And I don't know what the issue still was, but uh, we were voting on a, a innocuous bill. It's a good bill. It's Representative Coleman's bill to make sure that students who uh, are going to play taps at a, a military funeral have an excused absence. He's been trying to get this through the House for several several terms now. And in the middle of that, the Republicans try to get up and caucus. And we have a, a vote on the board. So we're not just leaving. We're going to vote and then we can figure out the caucus thing afterwards. And when I didn't do what they wanted to, which was tell them, sure, go ahead in the middle of a vote, just leave. They just got up and left on their own. Uh, they walked out? They walked out. They They walked out and locked themselves in their caucus room. And we did a call of the house and they still refused to come out uh, because the caucus room is technically part of the house floor. That's they, they got me there. Uh, so they stayed locked in the room. So we just went on with business. You know, we we didn't put the they, they didn't vote on the the, bol- the the bill that Rep Coleman had. So we cleared the board. We p- postponed that temporarily. So we just moved along with the resolution and they still were refusing to come out. So Representative Arbit was speaking about his experience as a person of the Jewish faith and a person who has been facing just an inordinate amount of anti-Semitism recently. And all of a sudden, the Republicans do come back out and start screaming at him. Uh, they start making a point of order, saying that he's violating House rules, which he was not. Like, I want to be very, very clear about that. Just my job to remind people when they are violating House rules. He was not. Um, he was not disparaging any members. He was speaking to the resolution. He was speaking to his own experience and how it related to the resolution. Uh, and they came out and began screaming, trying to get his mic cut off so that he couldn't continue speaking. Oh. Um they did not want to go on record with this vote. I believe that was part of the temper tantrum that they threw. They did not want to have to, you know, have their names up on the board with a, a durable record of who voted yes and who voted no. Mind you, on a resolution honoring the Holocaust and denouncing anti-Semitism. Uh, so we did a record roll call vote and it passed. But it's bizarre to explain such childish and disappointing behavior, especially when we are talking about something that is so common sense and is something that I really don't think the vast majority of people would disagree with. We we do denounce anti-Semitism. We do acknowledge the atrocities of the Holocaust. So I'm not quite, I cannot fully explain the the reaction that we saw there and, and the vitriol with which they were, you know, the, the minority floor leader was screaming at Representative Arbit for, again, doing nothing wrong other than saying something they did not want to hear, which is not a violation of House rules. That's just something you have to cope with as a legislator. I've been doing it for four years. They will be fine. Um, yes, but yeah, it was it was shameful. And, you know, it's it's weird because when I'm up there in the moment, you know, like we said at the beginning, I'm just very focused on on getting this piece done. But going back and seeing the footage, because it's ended up everywhere, it's been on MSNBC, it's it's been all over the place, going back and seeing the footage of it from the outside, from the other side of the rostrum, it's even more insane to me. And it's even more shameful to, to just watch it all play out and think about, frankly, the Republican constituents who are seeing their representatives 
shouting down a young Jewish man for speaking to his experiences is just it it is mind boggling to me. The whole incident was mind boggling to me as they, you know, a number of Republicans came came forth to denounce that horrific tweet. But I'm not sure how many of your colleagues in the House did. And it's shocking to me how how they will continue to be silent in the in the face of such blatant hatred for the service of their politics, because that's what this is. This is about them um, making political stances in places where I think, frankly, they're wrong. I don't think this is what their constituents want from them. I think they've read this one completely wrong, but they continue to do this. They continue to ignore what people want and what is just basic right, what's just basic human right. I'm, I'm shocked by it over and over again. But Let's not waste any more time talking about them. One last question for you. What's next post post break? You know, you all are working during this break. I don't want people to think that you're not working, but post break, what's next? I know that there's more to come from this legislature and I'm excited to hear about what you all have on the horizon and, and maybe touch a little bit based on your background um, on where we are on the water issues, right? I know folk, folks want to talk about lead abatement and what's and all in PFAS. So give us a little bit of that before we we'll let you go on with your day. Absolutely. So writ large, we're going to be getting into budget season. So it's going to be a really, really busy time. Uh, a, a lot of work going into to getting the next fiscal year budget going. I exist in the policy space, so I'm not the appropriation space. And I'm also really fortunate this term to serve as the chair of the Committee on Natural Resources, Environment, uh, Tourism and Outdoor Recreation. But for our purposes, those first two are really, really important. So in the first 70 days, we've worked and, and dedicated a lot of funding to water affordability, uh, shutoff prevention, uh, to make sure look, water is a human right. And I, I think that most of us were aware of that well before COVID, but COVID really shined a light on the disparate impact for folks who are having their water shut off because they simply cannot afford the bill. And I'm sorry, nobody in this state should be not unable to wash their hands or turn on their tap and get a, drink, a glass of water because of the affordability of it. So we, we've dedicated a lot of funding and energy to that. We also are reintroducing a filter first package. So I believe it was uh, introduced at the end of this past week. Uh, and it's, I believe already made it out of committee in the Senate. Um, and that package just makes sure that, you know, as we work on lead replacement line, uh, lead line replacements all throughout the state, there's an acknowledgement that that takes time, that takes money. So in the meantime, we need to be making sure that the most vulnerable among us who are spending their time in places that historically have had high levels of lead, so schools, daycare centers, uh, senior centers, we want to make sure that they're protected while we're working through all of these lead lines. So uh, putting filtration systems in there so that, you know, regardless of whether or not there's a high lead level now, or if you know, a year from now, there would be a high lead level. Let's just protect folks as it as we go along. Let's just do it now um, is, is really, really important. And that's a bill package that had made it out of committee at one point, but just never got across the finish line. So I'm really excited to, to start working on that. Um, and the other thing that we have going on in both the House and the Senate, uh, in the Senate, it is Sean McCann's bill. In the House, it's my bill, is repealing the no stricter than federal law. So uh, back in 2018, there was a bill that was introduced that became law that says state standards cannot be higher than federal standards. That is applicable across the board, but it's really, really important when we look at environmental standards. 
you know, it's worth noting that uh, for a very long time, the safe level of lead was uh, if, if you got a finger prick and it was below 10, it was considered safe. Now we know that there is no actual safe level of lead, but the federal standard is at three right now. So unfortunately, Michigan has been leading the way with a lot of these contaminants, be it lead, be it PFAS, uh, you know, or, or any other contaminant. We have kind of been leading the charge. And unfortunately, that's because we have a lot of that contamination. Uh, but regardless, we ought to be able to respond to it as, as we see fit. Uh, and if we are further ahead than other states and therefore the federal government, we need to be able to act proactively about it. When we have a really great sympathetic administration in the White House, it seems like it's less of a big deal, but sometimes we don't. Administrations change and we need to make sure uh, that regardless of whether there's an environmental ally or not in the White House, we are able to protect the people of Michigan uh, the best that we can, regardless of of what the federal standard for whatever contaminant is. That's terrific. I'm so glad you all are working on that. And I'm so glad you had some time for us today. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And hopefully you'll come back again and give us updates on everything you all are working on. Keep up the great work. I would love that. Thank you for having me. With that, we come to the end of this week's report. We urge you to subscribe to our weekly podcast and share it on your social media. The podcast is available on your favorite podcast app or on our website, partyonthepeninsulas.com. Thank you for making us part of your day. Party on the Peninsula is as a production of the Michigan Democratic Party.